it's that time of the week again. It's time for Chit Chat Across the Pond. This is episode number 505 for October 13th, 2017. That is Friday the 13th. And I'm your host, Allison <laughs> Sheridan. <laughs> this week, our guest is Bart Bouchotts, and he's back with Programming by Stealth episode, wait, uh, installment 41 of X. Hi, Bart. Hi, Allison. I hate Friday the 13th. <laughs> Well, I don't have a black cat anymore, so I'm doing okay so far. We're going to we're going to make it through, but uh I had I am loving this part of the series. I'm having so much fun. I I like kept doing more homework than I needed to because it was fun. Well, that's good. That's uh, let's see if we can keep that up. Um th- that's how it should be. You telling me you want more. That, <laughs> I like that. Yeah, like it didn't take me that much time, so I started screwing up dates and all kinds of stuff. It was a good time. Yeah, well, look, you know, what do we say? Ten thousand hours. I know it's. I know it's technically. I don't think that stood up very well the scientific testing, but it's still a good theory. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, practice makes perfect. We'll go with that, right? There we go. Yeah, that 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 continues to work. So, installment forty-one. Jeez, that's a time long gone. time. Yeah, isn't it? So we are wrapping up with forms this Aww. time around. Uh, well, no, we have a few loose ends to tie up, I think, and then then we are ready to then we're ready for the big step, which is when we turn the pieces that we know into our first web app. There's nothing we've done so far could be described as a web app, but when we implement the game of life, that is, by anyone's definition, a web app. All right. Well, I, I'm just excited so, that I finally actually. Went back to my CSS and added a drop shadow on my website, mm. so I don't do it by hand anymore. <laughs> that is, that, I'm sure that saves you oodles of time. It does. So. It does. It was a uh, it was a big step, though. Yeah. Whereas I'm still working on doing an entire WordPress theme from scratch. Nice. In your it'll spare be lovely time. when it's done. Yeah, that's the problem. <laughs> spare, spare what now? <laughs> I'm telling you, when you were a lazy slob, you had a lot more time, Bart. This I did a lot more nerding when I, yeah, when I was actually medically diagnosed as morbidly obese. I was way more time for nerding. But, yeah. <laughs> but your life would have been shortened by 50% if you hadn't fixed it. So there you go. Yeah, there is that minor. The area under the curve. You're, you gain. Right. <laughs> exactly. Oh, yeah. And not to mention that it's just better. Right. Anyway. <laughs> so today is going to be a game of two halves. Um Basically, there's two things I want to wrap up. So the first is I want to look at keyboard interaction with web forms. It's something we have ignored, as you discovered. You discovered it because the way accessibility tools work is by simulating the keyboard. And when you try to use accessibility tools and some of the stuff we've been playing with, it didn't work because we had not added keyboard support into the stuff we were doing. So oh, we need to look okay. at how. So the that's keyboard. the basic, and and we care about keyboard support because just about anybody likes to be able to tab around and hit a space and things like that, right? Uh, power users certainly do. Yeah. Um we'll have an interesting conversation with that because Safari is not like all the others, but we'll we'll see about that in a moment. And then the last thing I want to do is I want to wrap up event handlers with a table. It's actual tabular data, so it's a table. Um, of basically from a form management point of view, from the point of view of making your web forms go, what events should you be listening for or adding listeners to 
for which different types of form. So I have a checkbox. What should I be doing? Should I be using click? Should I be using change? Should I, what should I be using? I have the form itself. What event handler should I be listening for? I have a text area. What event handler should I be listening to? So I've done them up as a table, basically, with the first column being what the thing is, the second column being what the event handlers are, and the third column explaining it in English. And hopefully then you can go and say, I have a checkbox. What should I do? Ah, okay, checkbox. I should be using on chain. I should be using the change handler. There we go. Okay. So that so that basically will then get us to the point where we have our web forms ready to start using them to build interfaces. And interfaces are obviously what make an app an app. It's the human telling the computer to do something. Yeah, I'm I'm glad we figured this out or you figured it out. <laughs> I found the problem, you found the solution before we started trying to do it in something super complex. This was just in Allison put some stars in her movie form and we discovered that you couldn't click them. I, I used the uh, font awesome. Euphemistically, yeah. Yeah, and uh, and it, we found out this is a known problem that people want to make their, their checkboxes look pretty or radio buttons, whatever they actually are underneath, but they want to make them pretty with a fun, uh, like a font awesome. And yet, if you don't do it right, they don't work. Yep, yep yeah. So the HTML, the standard HTML form inputs, they look very primitive because actually what they're doing is the browser is handing over to the OS and saying, dear host operating system, put your stuff here, which means that they look on Windows like Windows and on Mac like Mac and on Android like Android. And it also means that the Mac's accessibility tools treat them in a Mac-like way because they are, in fact, the Mac things yeah. on a Windows accessibility tool. But they look ugly a lot of the time and they certainly often look out of place and there's two approaches to that you can either decide that you want to restyle them all and make them look the way you want them to look or you can just accept them as they are and say well this is consistent with the os good enough for me and so i generally will fall into the second category but even then we have learned all of the html things there are there are checkboxes radio buttons plain old buttons text inputs and drop downs and that's it you know, the, okay, you have the range slider as well in HTML5 and the date picker in some version, in some implementations of HTML5 that will make its way to all browsers. But that doesn't cover all the different types of interface you may need to make. So even if you decide to accept, the, even if you decide not to rejigger things for prettiness, you may still have no choice but to engineer your own. Yeah, yeah. Well, and and even within this, I was able to learn something that... that is going to help the uh, in the future for some other people. I was helping, um, uh, oh shoot, what's his name? Kevin Rago. Is his first name Kevin? No, I'm forgetting his first name. Anyway, Rago is his last name. I was teaching him how to use Audio Hijack and he's blind. So right. I was watching what he was doing and uh, they did a great job of making everything accessible. But what we discovered, there was a sl the slider for latency. Remember playing around mm -hmm. with that? That slider uh, is the labels are there visually, but it doesn't tell you. It tells you you're at 50%. 50% what? And, you know, there's a label right. that says low latency and, and high reliability are the two ends of the spectrum. <sighs> but by watching him and realizing and me knowing exactly how that works and why it didn't work, I was able to explain it to the people at Audio Hijack. And they're like, oh, man, thanks for letting us know. We'll get that fixed. Oh. Yeah, so out of the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of strings in this app, we forgot to do two. Sorry about it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Excellent. That's, yeah, yeah, yeah it, indeed. Understanding how these things work is definitely makes it easier to, to to explain bugs to people. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so 
let's let's have a look at the keyboard and web forms. And let's start with a plain old web form with nothing funny going on, no funky business, just a plain old web form. And if we had been having this conversation with a plain old web form a few years ago, I could have said without putting asterisks or disambiguate, <laughs> you know, any sort of, you know, caveats, I could have said that all standard form elements as rendered by all browsers can be controlled by the keyboard. But that's not true anymore. There's now an asterisk on that statement, and that asterisk comes from Cupertino, and it's called Safari. Now, this doesn't mean Safari is not accessible, because Safari is very accessible, but it means that if you don't have accessibility tools turned on, Safari behaves differently. The assumption being, I think, and it's probably correct, that most average people don't want to tab to a checkbox. They just click on those kind of things. Oh, okay. Where I might want to tab from a from a, a text field to the next text field to say, here's my name, yep. here's my address, here's my phone number. I wouldn't want to tab. I wouldn't naturally tab to a checkbox. Exactly. And when, in fact, what oh. you may find is if there's five or six checkboxes between one text field and the next, you may find it quite frustrating as an average user. Right. You'd want to hop. You want to hit wasting. one and hop over it. Yeah. Yeah. So I think Apple are actually doing what makes the most non-nerds the most happy. So I'm not. I'm not going to come down hard on them and say they're wrong, but I can see it from both points of view, because from the one point of view, I can understand the logic. And from the other point of view, as a developer, I'm sitting there going, yeah, but yours is different. And that irks me somehow. It's like everyone else is that way. And why does your car drive on the left? I mean, it, <laughs> so it, I can see both points of view, so I don't have a strong opinion on either. But anyway, let's just see what happens. So if you would be so kind as to open, say, PBS 40 or your homework for this time or an implementation of our movie form, either by you or by me, so we have lots of different form elements. Okay. What I want. Basically, I want a web form with lots of different things, some drop-downs, some checkboxes, whatever. Lots, yeah. lots of different things. And let's not start in Safari. Let's start in any other browser of your choice other than Safari. So I'm going to pick Firefox. Okay. I have my homework open in Firefox. So click in the first field at the top of the page, whatever that is. Okay. In my case, it's the title. Yep, me too. And as you hit tab, you will see focus jump. So, and if you end up on a drop down menu, you can use the arrow keys to navigate around. And if you hit tab again, you'll end up at uh, radio buttons if you have any on your page or checkboxes. They'll all get highlighted one by one. So, in my case, I have about 10 checkboxes for the different genres. So I'm having to do an awful lot of tabbing here before I get to my next text field. Now, that's true on my on my checkboxes, but my radio buttons, it jumped right to the selected one. Right, which makes sense because they're all part of the one control, if you think about it. So I'm imagining, can you then use the arrow keys to move your selection? I wonder how that Let's works. I, I, I yes, don't actually I can. Have a yeah, yeah, I can. So it's treating the set as a single thing, which is actually what it is. So that's okay. Okay. All right. And then what did you say I could do? Let's see. If I do that with checkboxes, I can't. I have to, I have yeah, to tap they're all through standalone. them all. Yeah. yeah. And you can use a space bar if you're on a checkbox to activate it, to check it. Okay. Gotcha. And uh, you can what also... What did you say on a pull down? There was something I could do fun, something fun on that. Arrow keys. Arrow, Arrow keys will bring it down and then you can move to what you want. Uh, and then... No. Oh, I can't Arrow keys aren't doing on mine. Remember, we've done some stuff to mine to try to make it accessible, so we may have left it in a state that's not natural. 
that is possible because yeah so as soon as my drop down is, is highlighted i just hit the down arrow and then it expands down and i can yeah move. Mine, mine does nothing but we did do some messing around in mine I think we left it in a state where it doesn't work in accessible or inaccessible the right way. Okay. Well, yeah, because I'm doing it here and it definitely does work. Um, and we can also access the submit button eventually if we, oh God, I have a lot of tabbing to do here. Tab, tab, tab. And this is why I see Apple's point. And then I can hit the space bar and it will submit my form. Oh, by the way, uh, up, down arrows do work on this in Safari. They don't are in Chrome and they don't work in Firefox. And they work They work in Safari and Chrome, but not Firefox. Okay, so I'm using Firefox and they are working, so it's something <laughs> about your particular one. Uh, okay. Now, the other thing is on, on an awful lot of browsers, hitting enter anywhere in a form apart from inside a text box will submit the form. So you got to remember to use the space bar to activate most things. Yeah. But you, you can get around absolutely everywhere with the tab key and a lot of patience. Yeah. Now, the same is true in Chrome. It, it may, there may be some subtle differences, but basically the tab key will get you around the entire web form. But if you go to Safari, the tab key will not behave in the same way. So if you start off by clicking into any of the text boxes, when you tab, you will jump to other text boxes, and that includes number fields and URL fields and email fields, basically things that expect the keyboard. And it also includes drop-down menus. Yes, but it skips over radio buttons and checkboxes. And button buttons. Button buttons. You'll never get to the submit button. Oh, let's see. That's Unless... Good. I'll be there in a while, just a minute. Nope. Yeah, you're right. Now, if you want the old-fashioned behavior, all you have to do is move your thumb over to the option key and hold it down, and then it behaves just like Firefox. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. Yeah, so now I'm hitting option tab, and it's going through all the checkboxes, all of the pull-downs. It e- By the way, my stars are working now. Yay! We'll, we'll get to why in a, in, later on in the... Uh, <laughs> So if you go to Safari Preferences, yes. and if you go to the Advanced tab, you will see that under Advanced, there's a group of two checkboxes with the label Accessibility. Yes. The second of those is unticked by default. It says press tab to highlight each item on a page. Oh. And underneath it has a note to say, by the way, Option tab will do that anyway. Now, if you check that checkbox, then, the, then Safari will start to behave like Firefox. So if you really okay. want the Firefoxy behavior, you can have it all the time, or you can just use Option Tab. And when you, if you check the box to say Tab goes to every single item, then Option mm-hmm. Tab only goes to text fields and pop-up menus. So they invert the logic. That makes yeah, sense. that makes sense. Okay. Yeah. So that is, so we can no longer say all browsers are identical, but the point being, if you know your browser, as in if you have set your browser up and that you understand its features, you can navigate all of the standard HTML fields with the keyboard. Hmm. And because you can do that with the keyboard, assuming you have labeled everything using the label tags, a screen reader or other assistive device will not only be able to allow you to activate whatever it is that needs activating, it will also give you sane uh, help. It will be able to tell you the name of the field you're currently in or over or whatever it is you're doing. So assuming you follow the rules, you wrote your HTML properly, it will just work with the keyboard. As long as you stick to traditional HTML form elements. 
And then we get to the custom UI stuff, like the stars we did back in installment 36. And they they won't play ball. If you, in fact, go to... An, if you take the stars exactly as they were in 36, when you don't have accessibility tools turned on, you will simply never tab to them. They will never, ever, ever show up. Now, I did my best back then to make them accessible. So I used the ARIA role and the ARIA labeled by and all that all that stuff, which actually left us in a very strange limbo. Because, because I had done the ARIA stuff, accessibility tools did not skip over them because they were marked for accessibility. But we didn't actually add any keyboard support. So the accessibility tools told visually impaired users that there were things there they could interact with, but when they tried to interact with them, nothing happened. That's possibly even worse. (laughs) Right. You could have not let them know it was there, but this let them know it was there, and it was like, neener, 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 you can't have it? Yep. Because we added mouse support to our custom UI by having click handlers, but we did not at any point add keyboard handlers. And of course, we were using standard, they're not web elements we're using, they're spans and divs and so forth. Sure. And that means they don't have any sense of keyboard interactiveness because it makes no sense. And we are building a custom UI from scratch. So do you know whose responsibility it is if we're building it from scratch? <laughs> it's our responsibility. Sure. The browser couldn't possibly magically know. So that is an oversight on my part, which really only came to light when you tried to use the stars in your homework and then being the very conscientious person you are and being aware of accessibility, you turned on voiceover and to your disappointment found they know worky. Or rather they're in this strange limbo where they're correctly advertising themselves and labeling themselves properly and telling you that it's a one-star rating, a two-star rating. I mean, that the naked accessibility was correct. It was correctly telling you what was on the screen. Right. You just couldn't make it go. Right. It was the whole clicking. We'll tell you what your opinion is. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And clicking is an interesting choice of word because if if the accessibility tools worked by simulating clicks, so if while you tab to a text field, if or say a radio button, if what was being simulated was the click, then everything would have worked because we had click handlers. But what's that's not what the accessibility tools were doing. They were simulating keyboard interaction and we did not have anything connected to those events. So the event would have been fired, right? You would have been pressing the space bar. Right. And so that event was being fired by the browser, but we at no point attached a listener for that event or a handler, depending on which word, which synonym you prefer. So if no one's listening, you so basically you were shouting into the into the ether and no one was listening. <laughs> that explains why it. I forget the exact phrase that um, that voiceover used, but it was something like, "Yeah, you're clicking." <laughs> yeah, and well, you weren't clicking; you were spacing. Yeah, it, it wasn't being registered as a click. And my brain still thinks that logically it should register as a click because you're trying to make a, a mousey style interface accessible. But that's a whole other argument, and I'm sure there are many decades of legacy reasons why it is the way it is and the chances like none of these things were designed from scratch they have yeah. history that goes back to the very start of the internet and the thing is the early web was entirely keyboard based like tabbing around to all of your checkboxes was normal because mice were these weird esoteric things oh right 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 which so, is yeah, hard it probably to does imagine. have history doesn't it 
It's probably yeah. The more I've thought about it, the more I'm like, yeah, but the web is old. The web is almost as old as me, <laughs> which is kind of scary. But there we go. Young whippersnappers. So what we need to do before we do anything else today is we should uh, learn how to make the keyboard do what we want it to do. Now, I could retrofit keyboard support to the star interface we did last time. But actually, I'm going to use this as an excuse to do some revision. So instead of only adding keyboard support to something we wrote together literally months ago that we neither of us probably remember very well, we're going to start from scratch and build a different custom UI and add our keyboard support to that so oh, that okay. we get to do a bit of revision and learn some new stuff. That's probably so, not a bad idea because if nothing else, our forms have diverged over time of what we've done with them. Yeah. So having a consistent way to talk to the audience uh, or even just to me <laughs> would be exactly. hard. Exactly. So we're going to develop a new custom UI and this is a Facebook style thumbs up, thumbs down or a Netflix style since they've taken away my stars. I'm still not happy about that. Let's call it Netflix because uh, whenever we say Facebook, everybody's hairs on the back of their neck stand up I was going to say, bit. yeah, oh, sugar, we've lost half our listeners. Come back. <laughs> So yeah, so we want a thumbs up, thumbs down style UI, which is not something, there is no input type equals thumbs up, thumbs down. That, that's not a pre-existing one. We've got to write our own. We've got to roll our own. So let's, ooh, where are my show notes gone? Tut, tut, tut. Okay, so the big picture design we're going for is that we're going to store the actual rating inside a hidden form element. So that's the same basic idea we use for the stars. So the, when the form gets submitted, it, the, whether we did thumbs up or thumbs down will be stored in a hidden form element, and we're going to store it as one for thumbs up and minus one for thumbs down. Okay. That I mean, Makes that's sense. an arbitrary choice. I'm just sure. saying what we're going to do. Yeah. We could, I mean, you could have said true, false. You could well, have you said... Well, you could add them all up and come up with a value of, is it positive or negative when you're done? That's yeah, a good way to do That's it. what I was sort of thinking, right? You could sort of use it to average ratings or something. Yeah. I mean, there are reasons to have it as uh, symmetric and numeric. I like it. Um, so then if the data is going to be in the hidden form element, we obviously need some UI that is going to be interactable with. So the UI, it's, we're going to have an outer span that wraps everything. And it's going to contain two inner spans that are going to have a thumbs up and a thumbs down. And they're going to behave as if they were a radio button set. So if you click thumbs up and then you click thumbs down, well, the thumbs up should unselect itself because you can't. Okay, it that's can't what you mean both. by act as radio buttons, like the old car radio. Exactly. Thing. Yeah. So if you go to channel two, channel, if you're on channel one and you go to channel two, channel one definitely unselects itself. It does not play two stations on top of each other. Kids, go ask your parents what a radio was. Or a station for a that station. matter. station, yeah. Right. <laughs> button. I'm going to refer to the thumbs up and the thumbs down as like faux buttons. Okay. Just because we've got to have some sort of word for them, right? They are spans, so they're not buttons in the strictest sense of the word. We're going to refer to them as buttons because that's the behavior we want. And if we call them... I was going to say, and if we call them uh, radio buttons, we're already saying they're not going to look like radio buttons, so faux buttons work. Exactly. Oh, yeah. So we're going to use... Glyph icons to represent them since we love Font Awesome so much. I do. I have my own account now. I know that I saw that. Yeah. And you're like in a your big homework. girl. <laughs> yeah. So they have thumbs up and thumbs down and they have an outline version and a filled in version. So that is absolutely perfect for an, an unclicked and a clicked state. Good. We are going to use ARIA attributes so that screen readers and other assistive devices understand 
what is being presented. They are not going to physically see the thumbs up and thumbs down, so we need to provide them with alternatives that are accessible. Okay. So we will be doing that using ARIA. Okay. We are going to add click handlers to those faux buttons so that people who use mice or touchscreens can interact with those buttons and make them do stuff. Mm-hmm. We are going to add a change handler to the hidden input so that if that is changed by something, the UI will reflect the value now in the hidden text box. Oh, I know what you're doing there. That's for when the game of life starts spawning its own children. That is exactly for those kind of things, to be honest. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's it, also a nice model because it means that whenever you need to alter something, you could just say, oh, yeah, and just call the change handler for the input itself and it will make its UI behave. So it's oh, kind of okay. nice. So it's the making the, the visual and, and ARIA attributes look as though it had been changed by you, but it's actually been changed in, internally. Yeah. So okay. basically what you're doing is you're, you're adding the code that says make the UI consistent with the actually stored value. Yeah. Interesting. Which is, which is important <laughs> functionality, right? Make it, it consistent. Not something you want to have on your Netflix thumbs up, thumbs down, but you would want on your game of life. Yeah, exactly. So it's, yeah, so that's where we're going to do that code. Okay. We're going to stick it in the change handler. And then we're going to add a keyboard event handler to both of our faux buttons so that if you press the space bar while they are highlighted, tabbed to, whatever you want to call that, then they will behave as if they were clicked. And we're going to do that by calling the click handler. Oh, so the keyboard event handler will, will go tell the click handler, go change that glyph icon? Yeah. Oh. So basically, we are literally going to say, if you press the space bar, behave as if you were clicked on. And since the click handlers have already been written... Why bother writing them again and maybe introducing conflicts bugs. and bugs? and Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So what we want to happen is if you press the space bar, it should behave as if you clicked it. Okay, then let's actually call the click handlers. Right. Then right. it is, we are clicking it on behalf of the person. Yeah. Perfect. So that's our design. Okay. So we've got to write all those pieces. There's quite a few bullet points there. So let's, let's start with the HTML. That's, that's nice and straightforward and simple. So, uh, how do I, okay. So, we have a label because that is, that is how one should do things. Mm-hmm. I am calling it a rating. You can call it something else if you like. I mean, uh, then we have our wrapper span, which I am giving an idea of rating underscore UI and giving it a role of button groups. So, that's our first bit of ARIA. And then I am using the ARIA labeled by attribute to say that this span is going to be labeled by the label above it. And the, re- the way I do that is by tying it into the ID. So, I gave the label an ID rating underscore label. So, and this, then is, this is one we can do two different ways where you could have said label four up on, uh, no, under, under well, label. I'm, no, because that's not the ARIA way. Right, we're not using standard form elements. If this was a standard form input, yes, absolutely. But this is not a standard form input. This is a span. A span has no, you know, a label. I'm not sure a label. Oh, would that like only works whole... if the label was a label for an input tag. It certainly the way the spec is written. I wasn't sure how browsers would behave if we tried to use a label tag okay. to label a span because that's just not covered in the. That's just gotcha. not covered in the docs. Okay, so, so I figure right let's way. use the ARIA spec and do it the ARIA way because that's what we're trying to achieve. Because that'll always work the other way. Okay, gotcha. Exactly. That that so helps. Basically, yeah. So we're saying ARIA labels by. So we're pointing the exact opposite way to the way the label for works. We're saying this Go span is labeled by that at. label over there. Yeah. Okay. So then inside it, we have our faux buttons, which are 
spans. So class FA, FA thumbs up, O down. Which and is O was open, right? Or outline. Or I think outline? What, oh, okay. Yeah. Basically what it means is it's not colored in. Mm-hmm. Uh, we give it an ID. I'm calling it rating underscore down. Seemed like a good one. We're giving it a data attribute to say what value we're going to have it represent. So I'm saying data minus rating. So the name of the data attribute is rating, but the syntax is it's data minus and then the name you're giving it. So data minus rating is the rating data. We're saying so make it be rating minus one. is your word. Data is a sacred word. Precisely. Data minus is sacred and then followed by the gotcha. name of your choice. Okay. So I'm saying minus one. So basically down is going to be minus one. Mm-hmm. I am giving it a title attribute so that when you hover the mouse over it, it will show visibly thumbs down in English. Mm-hmm. I am giving it a tab index, which I would like you to make stick a pin in that. We will talk about that in great detail in a moment. I remember finding that and I didn't know what it meant, but I did it. Well, we're going to go through it in detail because it's important, but it's not. It's genius, just not obvious genius. Is it always tab index equals zero? Nope. But yes. (laughs) Okay. Put a pin in it, trust me. It will make sense, but it will not make sense before it makes sense. Uh, (laughs) Roll equals radio. So now we're back to Aria land. We're saying that, dear Aria, treat this as if it was a radio button. Mm -hmm. Aria checked equals false means, dear Aria, not only treat it as a radio button, but treat it as an unchecked radio button. And then we're saying aria label. In other words, what you should read out to the blind person is thumbs down. And then the thumbs up icon is all the same as that, but it says rating underscore up, a data attribute of one thumbs up. You get the idea. Yeah. And then we have input type equals hidden, name equals rating, ID equals rating underscore IPT. And IPT is like input? input. So that, but that is, should there be a, hmm, how do we know that's inside this whole thing? It's just kind of, it's not inside. It's not inside. It's a completely separate tag. It's outside. The slash span is on line five. It's a, we have a label. Then we have a span that contains two spans and then we have an input. Oh, that's right. The input is just saying shove it in the database. Well, the input is the back end. The input is the completely invisible brains of the operation, right? Right. So when the form submits, they're your name value pair. The name rating, the value will be whatever we end up shoved in here. Gotcha. By our event handlers, which don't exist yet. So right now we have only HTML. And what you would see is just the thumbs up and the thumbs down icons in their outline form. So not not filled in. So basically Mm -hmm. nothing is selected. So technically right now it's consistent. It just doesn't do anything. You can click on it to your heart's content at this point in the process because we have written no event handlers whatsoever. Okay. So the next thing then is we need to look at this tab index contraption. So the tab index attribute is used to mark an HTML element as being part of something called the tab sequence of the page. So every page has an implicit tag sequence so that when you hit the tab key, it will jump to the next item in the tab sequence. So there are a number of HTML elements. Okay, let's step back. 99.9% of HTML elements do not appear in the tab sequence. Par- you know, Every paragraph on your page, not in the tab sequence, every bold tag, every strong tag, every UI tag, every A tag. So many things are not in the tab index, right? Mm-hmm. The vast majority of tags are not in the tab index. But a few tabs 
are by default in the tab sequence. So they include uh, check or they include text boxes, buttons, those kind of things. So by default, you can tap to those. So the way that actually works is the default value for tab index for almost everything is minus one, which means do not tab to me ever. If you give something a tab index as greater than or equal to zero, it becomes tab toable. It becomes part of oh, the tab. Okay. So form elements have a default tab index of zero. Paragraphs have a default tab index of minus one. Spans have a default tab index of minus one. Divs have a default tab index of minus one. So all of those things you can't tab to, the reason you can't is because they're having, they have their default tab index value, which is minus one. Okay. Is that making sense? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I said greater than or equal to zero. So what does it mean to have a value greater than or equal to zero? So anything zero and above, you can tab to it. So why why would something behave differently if it had a tab index of one or a thousand or two? Yeah. And also, be- why is it tab index? That's an odd name for it. <laughs> and the word index gives you some sort of idea that it's about ordering things. So the way it works is there are two things that determine the order that stuff gets tabbed to. At its most simplistic level, it is the next thing to appear in the HTML source code. So the tab index follows the order of the HTML tags. So if everything on your page that was tabbable had a tab index of zero, then the order is only determined by the order they appear in the HTML. Okay. However, what's really going on is that if the current thing has a tab index of zero, then it will ignore everything with a higher tab index until it's gone through all the zeros. Oh, can I make a guess as to what this might be for? If you want your yes, submit please. button at the top of a form. Or uh, well, a save no, because button. If you, if you physically put it at the top in terms of the... Mar- oh, no, so, but I if I give it a tab index of one, top, we, it would tap, yes. tap, tap through my form and then jump to the top and hit, hit the yes. save button. Yes, it would. Absolutely, yes. So by default, it would go straight to save, which makes no sense. But if you give it a tab index of one, it would skip over it, go to everything else, and then when it's done everything else, jump up to the tab index of one. That's it exactly. Yeah. And the other thing where it comes into play is if you're using CSS to move things around. Oh, yeah. Then the default page order may be really, really confusing. In which yeah, case you yeah, would then box have to start within a using box and indexes, two exactly. columns of boxes. and Yeah. So then you might want to take control by yeah. using different tab indexes. And so what you may yeah. do is use one tab index for this box and a different tab index for the next box and a different tab index yeah. for the next box. So you might have five things with a tab index of one, five things with a tab index of two. Yeah, yeah. Interesting, okay. So that's why. But 99% of the time, tab index zero is fine. Well, you're right. I didn't understand it until I understood it. There you go. It it took me a while to figure out how to write the show notes. That was so hard to write. Yeah. Because it is sensible, but it's hard to explain. Well, I was thinking about that because you've had to learn this in order to teach it to us, right? You didn't already know this this part? I did. Ish. (laughs) But what I knew... What I knew is that if you treat zero as being a synonym for auto, and then you have exactly one thing with a tab index of one, and exactly one thing with a tab index of two, and exactly one thing with a tab index of three, then you get sane behavior. 
But then I went to myself, what if I have two things with a tab index of two? And then I actually went and had to read the spec. And then I was like, oh, it doesn't work like that at all. It works like this. Okay. So anyway, yeah, it made my head hurt. But I got there. <laughs> okay. So at this point, we just have HTML markup. Perfectly sane HTML markup. And we can tab to it. But it doesn't do anything. It doesn't do anything if you click. And it doesn't do anything if you press the spacebar. But you can tab to it, so it will highlight with a little border around it. So we're a very small part of the way there. Now, the next thing is not for our visually impaired users. The next thing is for everyone else using the custom UI. We actually should give some sort of visual cue that this thing can be interacted with. Because it's not a standard web form, so you're not going to have seen it before. So people should really get some sort of help. And know that it's not just some random graphic sitting on the page. Exactly. So two ways in which, two approaches you can take among many, but the the two that came to me as being sensible, are to use the CSS that controls the shape of the mouse when it moves over things, which is the cursor CSS property. So setting cursor colon pointer over our two thumb, sub thumbs down, that gives a pretty good signal, right? It becomes a little pointy hand. That definitely means I can interact with you. So that's a good signal to send. And something else that's very useful for sending a signal is colon hover, the colon hover pseudo class. So what I decided to do to make my thing look vaguely clickable is to say that by default, they have a color of dim gray, which is basically faded black. And the colon hover changes the color to black. So what so does you that do? If mouse, you're on an iPad, there is no hover. iPad or yeah, iPhone. How's that? It doesn't help. Okay. That is one of the many side effects of a touch interface for the web. <laughs> no, if someone figures out how to make touch interfaces for the web, first class citizens, I'm all ears, and you're going to be a millionaire because you're a genius. <laughs> okay. That is a problem. Yeah. Yeah. Got. Yeah. Got it. It's just a problem. Uh, so the so the CSS is here now. I'm wondering actually, since this is revision, I'm just going to go in cold and say, Alison, line two there of that little bit of CSS. What does that selector mean? All right, it says uh, span hashtag or pound rating underscore UI greater than span. So that says spans with the ID rating underscore UI spans so the with. Arrow- yeah, I'm thinking spans within spans of rating UI. Directly within. So the arrow means Right. A span I am your that's inside uh, Right. A span that's in, directly inside of a span with an ID of rating underscore UI. Bingo. In other words, our okay. two little buttons. Right. Our two little buttons are spans directly inside a span with the so ID. So if there rating. was a if there was a span with a div with a span, that would not be affected by this. Precisely. It has okay. to be a direct child. Okay. So a child, not, an, not, not a descendant. Okay. Not a grandchild. Exactly. So, well, okay. uh, yeah, so descendant covers, right, everyone down the family tree from you. And an ancestor is everyone up the family tree from you. Okay. So your ancestors are your parents, your grandparents, your great-grandparents, and your descendants are your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren. Okay. Yes? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, yes. Well, this is a direct relationship. Okay. A descendant is, your child is your descendant, too. Yes, your child is your descendant, that is true, but not all of your descendants are your children. Correct. That's the sort of, yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. We agree, we're just, yeah. Okay, so that's our, that seems reasonable. The next one then is exactly the same, but we're saying colon hover to make it black. So we're saying 
make the cursor a pointer and make it dim gray. And then if you have the colon hover pseudo class, make the color black. And the colon hover pseudo class is more specific or has a higher specificity. So span colon hover has a higher specificity. That's hard specificity. to say. Specificity. <laughs> specificity than span without the colon hover because the colon hover is a, is a class. So you have tag plus class is more specific than tag. So span is a tag, span colon hover is a tag with a class. So it's more specific. Okay. So if the hover is true, then the black is more specific than the dim gray. So it wins the argument. And that is the color that will be shown by the browser, which okay. you can see by hovering over pbs41.html. Oh, I haven't opened that yet. Yeah, I haven't technically asked you to, but I guess I guess we can say that if you want to see what this looks like when it's finished, if you want to jump ahead then the zip file for the inst- for, for today's installment contains exactly one file, <laughs> which is pbs41.html. It is very exciting. It is shockingly it has, exciting. There's a little tiny uh, thumbs up and thumbs down. Yeah, so it's a form for doing a quick review. You get a comment, a rating, and a submit button. And a reset button. Wow, that, that black is not very black. I mean, I could have gone with, uh, something pink or something but I'll, I'll be honest no. it wasn't but the point being <laughs> the point being I want to show the colon hover works really yeah, uh, yeah right so it's subtle it, it, uh, yeah now, if, you, if you do that in so that's only necessary vis- for visual right we don't need mm-hmm. it to read out you're hovering now in fact you're right, probably exactly. not this actually is... you're not hovering you wouldn't be hovering with the screen reader Exactly. Okay. Yeah, because it makes no. It has no. There's no such thing as a hover in a screen reader, just like in in a touch based interface. Mm-hmm. So it, these are affordances you're making in certain situations, which is fine. I mean, when we put in the keyboard handler, that only affects keyboards. So it's fine to make affordances that don't benefit everyone, yeah. as long as you're benefiting someone. It's a perfectly sane thing to do. And it's also it's a whopping eight lines of code, including the comment. Yeah. So it's well worth the small small amount of effort. Right. Right. So the next step then is to make the UI reflect the actual value stored in our hidden input. If the hidden input says minus one, then one of those two thumbs should be visibly selected versus the other one. So minus one, it should be the thumbs down. A value of blank should be both thumbs grayed out and a value of plus one should mean one of the the thumbs up is, is enabled. So we need to write the code to actually do that. So that's interesting. So it's not the act of clicking that's going to make it change color or change to filled in. You're saying it's the fact that by clicking, we cause the value to change, which is then going to feed back. I'm going to color this, change it to the other, uh, to the filled in thumbs up. Okay. So the click handler is going to change the value and that way you're going to get the the UI to update. And that makes sense because what really matters is what's actually stored and what's actually stored should be the boss. Okay. Because that's what's going to get sent to the server. So I want to make it in charge, which is why I'm doing it this way around. I'm saying the change handler is attached to the thing we really care about, which is the under the hood value. And the under the hood value should push, should assert itself over the UI. The UI should be completely subservient to the value it represents. Not the other way around. Right. It's a philosophical Especially if point. we're going to screw with it from behind. <laughs> exactly. Which you need to be able to do, right? Otherwise yeah, it's not a so, proper. Yeah. Makes sense. So this code needs to go inside the, do- the document-ready event handler, right? That's where you attach event handlers to things. So that this goes inside your, your page-wide document-ready handler. So we are going to attach a change handler to 
the rating underscore IPT hidden input. Okay. So pound, so dollar open, uh, a single argument of a string, which is pound sign rating underscore IPT. In other words, select for me the thing with the ID rating underscore IPT. Mm-hmm. We're going to call the dot change function on that thing, and we're going to pass that change function a single argument, which is an anonymous function or a callback, depending on which of those synonyms you prefer. So when you call dot change with a single argument that is a callback, you are creating an event handler. You are saying from henceforth, when the change event fires, do this. Yeah. Yes. And that actually yeah. makes sense. <laughs> Finally. Excellent. Okay. So inside the change handler, the first thing I'm doing is I am giving a name. Oh, tut, 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 Bart. Line three should start with the word var. Yeah, it should. It should. I'm going to fix that right now this second. So that <laughs> when I, then I can upload it before. And this time I'm actually going to remember to upload the change, the, the bug fixes I find instead of doing it a week later. Yeah, we, or two uh, weeks later. I'm going to vamp for you while you fix that. Um, don't, don't put vamp away. Oh, okay. Uh, I don't know whether anybody else was following the uh, regular expressions he used last time, but I tried doing something he'd done in the regular expressions and it wouldn't work. And it turned out he had noticed a bug while we were chatting, but it was one of those, oh, I'll fix that later things and hadn't done it real time, which is why he's changing this real time right now so that it's good when you get there. Yeah, that, that, that's, you know, lesson learned. Last time I said, oh, yeah, yeah, before the show goes live, I'll have fixed that. Yeah, no. <laughs> I'm assuming we recorded late and I just went to bed. And that, <laughs> that must be it. That was the end of that. By the way, you might want okay. to make a note that you have installment XXXXX up earlier in the show notes. Oh, Is there probably sick. something to check? But less critical. Wait, I thought I got rid of all of those. Okay. Because I looked it up. It was 36. No, there we go. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so 36. I need to put 36s in for all of those. This is real-time sausage-making. Yeah, okay, let's that's, that's stop sausage-making. <laughs> no, that's okay. I, it's good. I think it's good. It's ah, way better than missing it later. Okay. I keep on losing my update button in WordPress. I scroll too far, and it scrolls off the page. Okay, right. We're good to go. Okay. Uh, right here, when I click view post, I actually want to see. Okay, so at this stage of the game, where are we? Okay, so the first thing I'm going to do is I just want to wrap... I want to give a sane name to the rating input instead of calling it dollar this all the time. So mm-hmm. I'm just saying var dollar rating equals dollar this. So we now have a nice named object which points at our hidden input. So dollar rating is a jQuery object that represents that one hidden input. Right. Then I just want to have a quick access to the current value. So var curval equals dollar rating dot val. So we okay. now have the current value saved in a nice name. Okay. So the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to say, if someone has changed this rating to something that makes no sense, I want to change it to being blank. So I'm saying, if the current value does not match the regular expression, starts with... Can I try to interpret this? Yes, please. I'm going to make a botch, but I want to start trying to do these. So uh, this was part of the typo that he fixed last time, is he's got... Uh, curve, uh, not curval dot match, and then he's got parentheses, and he had used a string around the uh, regular expression, but it's not really a string; it's a regular expression, so it's got to be yep. slashes on either side. And that's which one is that called? Is that well, back that is, or forward you, slash? What's the name? They are forward. Forward. 
I, I never know which one they are. That's the whole spring forward fallback problem I have. Okay, so forward slash starts with, because he's got the little hat, and then he's got it in square brackets, which means a... Character class. Character class. Uh, it's got a dash and then a question mark, which I think means any number of dashes. No. Any no. number is star. Okay. Plus What's, means one or more. So what's yeah. question mark? Zero? No, that would be dumb. Zero or one. Zero or one. Okay. Optional. So, so zero or one dashes. So uh, mm-hmm. you it can either be negative or not negative. And then mm-hmm. a one and a dollar. So And the dollar means the end. So he's basically saying if it's not minus one or positive one, then set a curve L equals and two quotes. So set it back to nothing. Yep. Okay. And then actually set the real thing to nothing. So dollar rating dot val curve L. Okay, so you're shoving cur- the current value that you've just set to nothing. You've, you're shoving it back into this. Yeah, exactly. So which is the actual input. So yeah. in other words, gotcha. our little copy of it is correct. And so is the real thing. Gotcha. I'm, I'm, I'm there. So at this stage of the game, we know for sure that the input is either minus one, empty, or plus one. So we can now render the UI to reflect one of those three possible realities. Okay. So I'm going to do them one at a time. So render the thumbs down icon as appropriate. So I'm just quickly getting a reference to it and saving it in the variable dollar down because mm-hmm. I'm going to be typing it a few times. So if the current value is minus one, then what do I want to do to the down arrow? I want to remove the class thumbs O down. So I want to remove the outline version. Mm-hmm. I want to add the class thumbs down without the minus O, which is the filled in, colored in version. Right. And I want to set ARIA checked oh, to yeah. true. Yeah, yeah, So that yeah. the screen reader understands what's gone on. Okay. So the screen reader will now see this as a, a selected radio button. Right. So at this point, at no point uh, does the screen reader ever know that there's a little drawing of a thumb. Precisely. It knows it it's a no radio sense. button and it's true or it's false. And it knows that it represents thumbs Checked. up because we have labeled it. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So it's behaving as if you had a simple two radio buttons called thumbs up and thumbs down, okay. which is perfectly valid because the, the icons are purely visual. So what right. you need is for someone to have the effect, not the visuals, because visuals are meaningless. Right. In a non-visual world. So you said if current value is negative one, we're basically going to change it to a, a thumbs down, a filled in thumbs down. Why do you, yes. wh- what would the else be about that? Okay, so if the value is blank or the value is thumbs up, then the thumbs down one has to be unfilled in and has to be set to uncheck. Wait. It's a radio set. So if the cur- if if the user has not actively selected thumbs down, we have to blank it. We have to set it to the outline version and to not checked. My head hurts. So we said if the current value is negative one, we're going to fill in the one that says thumbs down. Correct. Okay. Uh, I understand that all, every we're trying to make them act like buttons now, right? I mean, radio buttons. We're making them reflect the reality stored inside that hidden text box. So if the hidden text box contains the value thumbs down, then the thumbs down icon should be colored in and marked as being checked. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, in other words, if the value stored is not thumbs down, then we need to uncolor in and uncheck the thumbs down icon because either the value is thumbs up or no value. But either way, that thumbs down icon absolutely positively cannot be colored in. 
so nothing has made it colored in yet, though. So we how- don't know that, right? This handler is going to fire every time there is a change. So yeah, sure. The, at the moment the page loads, this else is not. Going I to got yeah. Okay, now I'm now I'm now I'm caught on. Okay. Yeah, because this handler is here forever, right? For now and forevermore, whenever there is a change made, do this. So it, it's not when this isn't initialization code. This is how to respond to a change. So we need to take everything into account. So there we go. So that takes care of the thumbs down. And then the thumbs up logic is pretty much identical, but applying itself in reverse. So the okay. value is one and we're doing the thumbs up icon instead of the thumbs down icon. So it's the same logic, just yeah. everything flipped on its head. Yeah. Okay. And that's it. So that's actually all there is to it. So yes, it's 35 lines of code, including the comments. But, but it's all you're doing clean is and, say, and yeah. logical. Gotcha. Yeah. So get the current value. If it's invalid, make it be valid and then draw each icon to reflect reality okay so we can now if you like using your favorite browser of choice we can now actually use the console to test that we've gotten this much right we haven't attached a click handler so we can't use the mouse to make it do something but we have a console and we're developers so we can just use jquery to do it for us so we can set thumbs down by saying dollar inside a quotation mark pound sign or hash rating underscore ipt dot val minus one dot change so if you paste that in you'll see it does what i say it does and then we'll just then we'll talk about it and i'm going to paste that into my uh console on a running copy of pbs 41 precisely okay and i type in console where down there there it is found it and you should see it go black ah okay and then if you do the line below set the file to one you'll see the other one you'll see it flip Oh, that's exciting. And if you set it to blank, you'll see both of them turn off. I'm going to set it to boogers. That should be the equivalent of blanking because our code said if it's and not it one. And it doesn't. One. It says reference error can't find variable boogers. Uh, did you should put, put boogers it in, in quotation quotes? marks? Yeah. Well, you didn't say it had to be in quotation marks. Well, you were, you made up the boogers. I didn't tell you to do any boogers. The boogers are you're making. <laughs> yeah, but you, you said if string it's... Boogers. But your thing says it's if it's anything but... Right, one and positive a non-existent, ones. right, okay, but <laughs> it never got to my code, Alison. You talk rubbish at the console. You okay. didn't give it a string. Ah, you gave it a gotcha. It I gotcha. Okay, yeah, I put it in quotes and now it works. I knew that. I'd actually changed it before you said it, but okay. <laughs> now okay, I know why. So, I would imagine that the very first part of this makes perfect sense to you. Dollar rating IPT, that that you've seen a million times, right? Mm-hmm. Using a string to the dollar function to get a jQuery object that represents whatever it is in the string. Mm-hmm. The dot val probably makes sense. Set the value to whatever is inside the parentheses. Mm-hmm. The dot change may or may not make sense to you. So I guess before I make an assumption, does that make any sense to you? Uh, yeah, I mean... Okay, good. Yeah, yeah. Seems logical. I think we so played with we that doing? before. We may have. So what, what, what we're doing there is we are saying run the change event handler. Yeah. So in other words, all this lovely 35 lines of code, make, make it so. Okay. And hey, presto, the, the result is exactly what we want. Our, our little thumbs ups and thumbs down are now behaving themselves. So the next thing to do is to attach the event handlers to make the mouse or your finger on if you're using a touch-based interface work. And the handler in question, whether it's your finger or your mouse, is the click 
handler. So we're going to use the same CSS selector that we, okay, so first thing to say is, because there is a data attribute inside both of the little faux buttons, we don't have to write a thumbs up handler and a thumbs down handler. We can just write a handler that will work in both because it can figure out what value to use based on the data attribute. Mm, right. So we can use the same selector that we used for our uh, for setting the uh, color and for setting the mouse pointer. So span dollar rating UI angle bracket span which is going to select those self-same two things. Right. Yes? Right. And then to both of them, we are going to use the click function, which is passed a single argument, which is a callback. And that is a little one-liner. It just says, dollar as a string pound sign rating IPT. In other words, get me the hidden form input. Set its value to dollar this dot data rating. In other words, suck that rating data attribute out of the tag. So we said data minus rating was either minus one or plus one. So that's what we're getting. We're getting minus one or plus one. Yes? Right. Right? We're saying pass that to the val function. So in other words, make the value of the hidden input be whatever is in that data attribute. And then we're saying dot change. Make the UI look like what I've just put into the hidden input. Okay, so uh, what the audience d doesn't know, but Bart knows, is I did a pause there. The reason I wasn't answering him was because there was a chainsaw outside my window and a siren, which, as Bart questioned, were not related. Uh, can you repeat that section one more time? Because I was not able to focus with that siren going. I can, I can understand that. <laughs> Obviously, your mic is very good at directionality because it wasn't actually picked up on my end, which is, which is great. But okay, no I could see it in, coming into the recording, so that's why I was worried. So I'm going to have you uh, give me that one more time now that I'm focused. Sure. Yeah. And the windows are closed. Okay. So we have a little one-liner here, which is basically saying, if you click on either of these faux buttons, as we're calling them, what should happen? Well, the first thing is it says dollar and then passes a single string, uh, dollar or pound sign, rating underscore IPT. In other words, I want that hidden form input as a jQuery object. Then I'm going to call on it dot val, and I'm going to pass as an argument a value, which I'm going to extract from the span that was clicked. We'll talk about that in a moment. And then once I've set that value, I'm calling dot change. So in other words, this is awfully similar code to what we just ran in the console. But instead of hard coding in minus one, one or the empty string, we're actually going to get the correct value out of those data attributes that we added to the HTML earlier. So I'm, I'm a little um, tangled. We sort of started in the middle of a, the click function, which is a, an on a, anonymous function, otherwise known as a callback in this case. Is that correct? Correct. All yes, right. So we are, we are attaching this new function to the click event. So every time someone clicks on either of those faux buttons, do this. And the faux buttons and are defined by this uh, span pound rating underscore UI that is uh, directly a descendant of a, or is a span within Yes. A span with uh, ID rating underscore UI. Okay, so yes. we're saying if someone clicks on one of these things that we've just described with that, that ID, then... Mm -hmm. <sighs> Update the value stored in the hidden field to something, and we'll talk about the something in a moment, okay. and call the change handler. So at, change at its big picture structure, it's identical to what we pasted into the console, right? Dollar rating IPT dot val something dot change. 
dollaript.val something.change. Ignore okay. the something for now. We'll, we'll, we'll deal with the something separately. Okay. But so the big picture is update the value in the hidden text box and make the UI reflect that change. Yes? Yeah. Okay, so how do we update the value? Okay. What, what is the correct answer? Okay, so I know I need to change the value to something. What is something? Well, if you clicked on the thumbs up arrow, it should be one. And if you clicked on the thumbs down arrow, it should be minus one. So either I could write two separate handlers, one for thumbs up and one for thumbs down, but I sort of thought ahead. And in my HTML markup, I added these data attributes. And then one of them, I gave it a, I said, data minus rating equals minus one. Right. And then the other one, I said, data minus rating equals one. So in other words, whichever one you clicked on, data minus rating has been defined and it has the value we want. So what we actually want to do is pull that data attribute and use it. And yes. shove it and shove it into this. And no, no, this is this is the thing we clicked on. So we're pulling the data value out of this and shoving it into dollar rating underscore IPT. <laughs> okay. Yes. Yeah. So the thing we clicked on contains a data attribute that is either minus one or plus one as appropriate. Right. And we want to take that and we want to put it into our hidden form element and then say dot change. So dollar rating IPT dot val, whatever we find, dot change. Okay. So the whatever we find needs a bit more talking about. So just what's inside the call to val is dollar this. In other words, what was clicked. So if you click on the thumbs up, dollar this would be the thumbs up. If you clicked on the thumbs down, dollar this would be the thumbs down. Right, right. And then the way you access a data elements, remember you, you, you made me be very explicit. The data minus was not under my control. That is part of the spec. Right. And then the word rating was something I got to make up. Yeah. Yeah, that part so, makes sense. So the way you access that is with jQuery's data function. And the argument you give the data function is the part you make up yourself. Okay. In other words, mm -hmm. rating. Yeah. So we simply say dollar this dot data rating, which means we will get our one or minus one. Yeah, that's not where I'm getting stuck, but I think I'm just going to okay. have to reread this seven or 800 times. Uh, where I'm getting stuck is way back at the beginning of line two. The, the fact that we're saying we're, we're starting with this, this rating underscore UI ID, mm -hmm. and then we're clicking it. No, and we're accessing okay, the so, click handler. Okay, okay no, we're, okay. So what that CSS selector is doing is it's not selecting the thing on the outside; it's the thing on the right that is actually being manipulated. So it, what we're doing is we're adding a click handler to all spans that are directly inside rating UI. Yeah. In other words, that click handler is being added to the thumbs up span and the thumbs down span. Okay, so so the click handler is being added to the thumbs up or thumbs down span. Okay, I'm to there. Both. Not or, and. It's being added to both. We are adding the same handler yes. to both yes. things at the same time. So but then all of a sudden on, we're inside of a function and we're, yeah... I, okay, I, I'm gonna. Joe, okay. This is gonna take like an hour, so I think we should keep moving. Well, no, let me let me try say it because when I said it with the change handler, I found a formulation of words that make it work with the change handler. Yeah, but it didn't have so many embedded pieces to it. It had okay, but the line pieces. two is doing the same thing, right? Line two is basically saying, henceforth, whenever anyone clicks on either of these two spans, do what is inside this function. So that's what but line then two. We're, is 
So line two is simply saying, whatever comes after me, I want this to happen every time someone clicks. Okay, so, so whenever somebody clicks, they're going to take the rating value, which is plus or minus one, mm-hmm. uh, that we got from this. Which is the thing they clicked on. Which is the thing they clicked on, but we just finished saying, okay. Right, so every time you click on one of these, take the value out of whatever one it is you clicked on and shove it into the input. Shove it into that hidden field. So if you click the thumbs up, the, shove imp- the, thumbs the word up input's rating. not even in here. So I'm I'm losing I'm losing it. Rating, and then, okay, do, dollar rating underscore ipt. What is that in the HTML? What has the ID rating underscore ipt? I don't have any idea now. It's been it's been uh, forty five minutes since F. you said it. Do, yeah, do a command it's F. it's the input type equals hidden name equals rating ID equals rating ipt. Exactly. It's, but it's sort of, I feel like we've we've described the same thing three times. We've said the thing you clicked is the thing you clicked is the thing you clicked. It it, it, it no. seems like it keeps happening. So we said rating underscore UI, that's the thing that we clicked. And then no, we're saying we're gonna no, click no, it. No, no, it isn't. No, we, the thing we clicked is the span class equals FA, FA thumbs O down, or span class equals FA, FA thumbs up. We're adding the handlers to one of those two spans on line 171 or 172. Right, line two. 172, where are you? I'm in, the, I'm in pbs41.html, line 171. So okay, you're on I'm line sorry. I was reading the. I was reading the show notes. I'm, I'm getting, this is getting worse, not more. Okay, clear. sorry, I thought you had searched inside the HTML file for. No, I was looking at the show notes, which is where I thought we were working. So now I'm opening, now I'm looking at that file. Yeah, so the thing with the ID of rating underscore IPT is in line 174. Yes? It's an input, type equals hidden, name uh-huh. equals rating, etc. Yeah. So above that, you see on line 171, you see a span which represents the thumbs down. And on line 172, you see a span that represents the thumbs up. Yeah, I'm not confused over there. Okay, but they are what's being clicked on. The handler is being tied to those two, not to the input. It is if you click on one of those two, then all you want to do is put the value into that input. So the handler so, is on. Okay, wait, wait, stop talking because I think you might have got me there. So when we say dollar rating underscore ipt dot val, we're saying take the the rating that we got when we clicked on something and shove it into the input, which is rating underscore ipt. Bingo. Okay. Okay. All right. Let's move on. We have a long ways good. to go still. And not as far as you think, actually. Okay, good. But anyway. Okay. So at this point in the game, we have a working mouse-based input. So now if you go to the if you go to the file PBS41 in your browser and you click on the thumbs down, it does what you expect. If you click on the thumbs up, it does what you expect. Yes. And that is because we've added those click handlers. No more need to go footing around inside the console. Our click handlers are clicking. Mm-hmm. And this is the point where we stopped with our star rating example. Mm-hmm. We called it a day and we carried on. And that, of course, was a mistake because it means we have no keyboard interactions. So this is the part so, you had to learn that you didn't know. This is the part I had to learn. And okay. it's an important part. So as you might expect, there are events for this. The event we care about is called key press. So we're going to have to have a listener that listens for key presses. But key press is a little bit different to click because you have 
when you click, you're just clicking. But with a key press, did you? It, you don't have a separate event handler for pressing space, and another one for pressing enter, and another one for pressing G, and another one pressing <laughs> F. Okay. No matter what key you press, the event that is fired is key press. Okay. So how do we tell them apart? Well, I now need to tell you that I have not told you about something up until now. I haven't told you it doesn't exist. I just haven't told you it does exist. So we have at no point, if you look at the code for the click handlers or if you look at the code for the change handlers, we didn't pass at any arguments. Our anonymous functions named no arguments. It just says function open close. Yes? Are what functions do open close? No, none of our event handlers. So the anonymous function inside click, it just says function open close. Oh, okay. The anonymous function inside change is just function open close. So we are not right. naming any of our parameters inside right. these event handlers. Just because we're not naming them doesn't mean there aren't any. It just means we haven't used them. Actually, in jQuery, every time a change event happens, there is an argument passed. We have just ignored it. Every time a click event happens, there is an argument passed. We have just ignored it. The argument that is passed is a so-called event object, which represents the event that happened. Okay, that makes sense. By convention, and purely by convention, we name it, when we want to use it, we name it E, E for event. You could call it boogers if you like. Okay. So... When we are doing our key press event handler, the anonymous function is not going to say function open close. It's going to say function E and then close. So we are choosing to name the first argument E. Okay. And, and again, Java, we can call that anything we want, but you like the letter E for it's the event. Okay. And it's not just me. I do, but so does every other jQuery programmer on the planet. So if you use something other than E, no one else will be able to read your code. Okay. And if you read any code anywhere on the web, they're going to be using E. Okay, good. So that's the first thing to say. So that event object contains information about the event. And so it will allow us to figure out what key was pressed. Okay. The second thing I need to tell you about is something called bubbling, <laughs> or more fancy name is propagation. So if you have something highlighted with the tab key and you press a key, so something is going to have focus. If you press a key, the first thing the browser will do is it will fire the key press event on that thing. So if you're in a text box, the text box's key press event will get fired. If, you're, if you have a span highlighted because it has a tab index, then its key press event will be fired. Assuming you don't do anything to stop default behavior, that's not the end of the story. The browser will then say, well, this span is inside another span. So it will then go and fire that span's key press handler. And that span might be inside a list item. So it will fire that list item's event handler. That list item might be inside an unordered list. It will fire that handler. It will fire all the handlers until you get to the body tag. And it will fire its handler as well. So it starts from the inside and propagates out? Precisely. Okay. And that's called, the formal name is event propagation. The informal name is event bubbling because it just bubbles its way up to the surface. It comes up all the way up to the body tag. Okay. And what we, we don't want that to happen. Once we have done the work, we want to say, okay, we're finished. You pressed a key. I dealt with it. Now stop. So Why? we need to stop. Well, because otherwise you may have all sorts of side effects where like someone says if someone presses a key 
you know, basically you get side effects. You get key presses inside something affecting the things outside of it, and that can cause bugs that are really hard to track down because it's just weird behavior. So basically, don't don't have debris flying through the DOM. We wanted the so all these other key. event handlers we can, but key presses we have to stop them. Yes, because keyboard events are not the same as mouse events. Why? Because that's what this, that literally it's in the docs. You have no, but I mean, why why don't you have to stop uh, mouse clicks from propagating, but you have to stop keyboard presses from propagating? Because you do. <laughs> okay. It's, I, it's not a good answer. <laughs> okay. I, I, I'm sorry. I can't give you a better answer. It's okay. Because I, I remember do- you explained this to me in an email, and I was like, "But why this? Why does only this have to be stopped?" Okay. Because you have to. Because you have to. They're different. Yeah, okay. we have not dealt with these before. These like, are birds and they time. fly. They're not dogs that walk. Bingo. Yes. Okay. So we haven't, I haven't told you any of this before because we haven't, we haven't met anything of this species. We have just bumped into our first gorilla. Or bird. Bird. Okay. So th- these are different. And this is how you, this is how you interact with them. This is what they expect. This is, this is what you should do. This is what all the docs will tell you. Okay. So the event object is the key to both of our th- problems to be solved. So how do I know what key you pressed and how do I stop it bubbling? The event object has answers to both of those questions. Now I know what the it first is. Thing, it's going to be like Unicode or something, right? The answer to the what key you pressed is really annoying. So I'm going to leave that for a moment and okay. say that the answer to the how do I stop the bubbles is oh. really, really easy. There is a function named stop propagation. Okay. You call that function and it stops propagation. Okay. So E dot stop propagation. Done. Ah, but then we have the bloody which key did you press? In an ideal world, I would love to be able to say if the key pressed double equals the space character. But no, what you get is a numeric code. Mm -hmm. I can tell you the numeric code for spacebar is 32. So the solution to today's problem is 32. The solution to the more 42. I wish it was. I really (laughs) wish it was. You can... Or you can find lists online of all of these codes, but I found something better. There is a website at the very memorable URL keycode.info that is just a big white page. When it comes up, press any key on your keyboard. And it will tell you in giant big letters Hmm. what its code is. Spacebar 32. Enter 13. Nice. I'd looked at you know, is that completely standardized? Because I, I looked at this up for Spacebar and I found discussions on whether it was 32. If you don't use okay, so if you don't use jQuery, you all can end up with very yeah, not all bets, but some bets. Okay. And particularly if you care about old browsers. jQuery does a lot of hiding of history from you. So another bit of hiding of history is basically there's a .key code and a .car code, and they're not quite the same thing. jQuery completely removes that debate, and it creates its own property called .which. Oh, and so how nice. you access the key is with .which. So if e.which triple equals 32 is the magic thing we need to know, then the spacebar was pressed. So e.which is identically equal to 32. Yeah. Not 32.0. Not T H I R T Y T W O, but thirty-two. Okay. Yeah. So our key press event handler. Finally, we can finally write it now that we have those pieces of information. 
So we say we want to attach this key press handler to exactly the same thing we attach our click handlers to. So it's exactly the same selector here, span, pound sign, rating, underscore, UI, arrow, span. That's exactly the same as we just went through with dot click. Right. Then we say dot key press. And then we give it as an argument an anonymous function. But this time we name the first argument. We name it E. Yes. Can you see yes. that subtle difference? Yep. That makes sense. Okay. So now we just wrap our code in an if statement. We only respond if you press the spacebar. So if e dot which triple equals thirty two dollar this dot click click myself. If you hit spacebar on me, I'm just going to pretend you clicked me. I'm going to click myself. Dollar and we've built all that function about what to do if it gets clicked, so we don't have to build that again. Bingo. And then the last thing e dot stop propagation to stop the bubbling, and we're done. That's it. So if you hit the spacebar, click myself and stop bubbling. That 32 doesn't bother me as much as it bothers you. That made sense. It's a magic number. There should not be magic numbers in my code. <laughs> Bad code. The last thing we need to do before we're finished with our fancy pants thumbs up and thumbs down is there is one more situation in which the code as we have written fails. When you press the reset button on a web form, what is supposed to happen is that the entire web form is supposed to go back to its default state. Oh, right, 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 right. And that works for all the standard HTML elements, but our thumbs down or thumbs up are not, as it stands, going to do that because we haven't added the code to make it so. So the event huh. handler in question is called reset. It comes with two annoying caveats. First caveat, there is no shortcut function for it. So you have to say dot on, First argument, the string reset. Second argument, the callback. It's not the end of the world. So instead of saying dot reset, it's dot on reset. That's not the end of the world. What's more annoying is that the reset event does not exist on anything but forms. So a form is reset, not an input, not a dropdown. It's the form that has the event. But we don't have a form. Well, we do. If you look at the, if you search for the HTML, there is a form. Oh, you just haven't done any of these example snippets that would have been on the outside of yes. that. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So just like everything else, it is our input. Our input type equals hidden is inside a form because the rules say inputs have to be inside forms. So our input is inside a form. So we need to add the event handler to the form, not to the input. So how do we do that? Well, the easiest way is to start with the CSS selector for the input, because we know that. That's what mm -hmm. we're working in. So we say pound sign rating underscore IPT. And then we remember way, way, way back to early days, the function closest goes up your ancestors, looking for the closest of whatever you pass as an argument. So we're saying, give me the closest form. In other words, I would like the form I am inside of, please. That's an awfully sensible way to word it. Isn't it? Doesn't that read nicely? So don't Give me the closest form, and then on that form, say on reset. What do we want to do on reset? We want to set the value to blank and call the change handler. I totally follow that. That one makes sense. Excellent. That's it. We're now done. So we now have in the code here, pbs41.html in its entirety, but all the important stuff we've looked at. So we now have a working, accessible, well-behaved custom UI. It responds to form resets. It responds to people using the keyboard. It responds to people clicking on it. When you hover over it, it gives you proper labels. 
when you use a screen reader, it reads out sane and sensible things. We have actually managed to create a proper UI this time. Yay! Yay, exactly. So, I want to quickly wrap up our talk of events with this little table, which its main function is you probably want to copy and paste this into Evernote or something. I use Keep when I'm, from reinvented when I'm, software. The, or, oh, oh, yes, actually, I forgot about that. You've switched over. I may well follow you at some stage. Um, so depending on what it is that you're adding event handlers to, what event handlers should you do? Well, if you have a form, you need to add a submit handler and a reset handler. Or you may need to add one of those two. Submit handler is used for doing form validation. So if you have a custom UI element that needs validation, it should be inside the submit handler, just to be sure. In fact, if you, sorry, let me say that again. If you have anything that has custom validation, it's probably a good idea to validate it inside the submit handler. We didn't do that last week, but we should have, just for good practice. And the reset handler, you definitely need to respond to if you have custom elements. Okay. So basically, if it's a form, submit and reset. If it's a button, click. That's the only thing you can do with the button. Click on it. If it's input type equals checkbox, input type equals radio, or select, the handler you want is change. Okay. And if it's input type equals text or text area, the handler you want is one that I should have told you about yes last time, but I didn't know about it yet. It's <laughs> called input. So last time we used key up. And key up works if you type. It doesn't work if you drag and drop some text in. It doesn't work if form autocomplete happens. It doesn't work if it autocompletes, you select it from the auto, uh, if something autocompletes as in while you're typing, that cool Mac feature. It doesn't work if you paste. So key up is the wrong answer. The correct answer is input. And input is new. It didn't used to exist, which is why I didn't know about it. But input is smart. Key up is dumb. So if you drag and drop, input will fire. If you have auto-completion, input will fire. If you paste from the clipboard, input will fire. So the right event handler for text stuff is input, not key up. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. And I want to give a shout out to listener Jill, who got me halfway to there. As in, listener Jill went, Bart, key up is a partial solution. What about this edge case, this edge case, this edge case? And I was like, oh, sugar. <laughs> so then I went to Googling, and then I discovered that in since I first learned about text forms many, many years ago, this problem has been solved, and the solution is the input event, which fires whenever there is input. So there we go. And then the very last thing I want to tell you about, so you know the way I keep on saying you're now... The trading wheels are slowly coming off, so I'm going to start having a useful links section. Yeah. Here we go. Useful links. I have a link to that wonderful key code page because I want to be able to get to that quickly. So I'm going to be going to this useful link section quite often because <laughs> that key code page was cool. Right. I have a link here to the full API docs for the jQuery event object. I told you about the which property and the stop propagation function. It does more than that. If you care about the more... There is the link to the documentation. The good people of Mozilla, so I've given you a list of five or six events. There are hundreds of possible events. If you ever want to know what events a browser does, the good people of Mozilla have compiled an authoritative list. That is the third element in the useful links section. If you open that page, prepare for your jaw to drop. <laughs> Maybe I won't. The scroll bar is tiny. 
there are a lot of events. Now, the nice thing about Mozilla's page is they're all clickable. So they have full docs for every event telling you when it fires, what it does. So it's a really good resource. Finally, this is like a tip. So I have told you about HTML5 form validation. And it does a lot and it's really cool, but I've kind of taught you everything about it. It doesn't do anything more than we've talked about. So if you need something more complex, you have two choices. Invent your own from scratch or use a third-party library. I would suggest to you that a sensible approach to life, and I know people would disagree with me, so it's a suggestion, it's not a rule. I would suggest the approach of try a third-party library first. When that fails, revert to inventing your own wheel. Don't start with invent my own wheel, is my advice. A third-party library for what? Whatever you need. So this is general advice. Oh, Whatever this is you just need a ge- oh, okay. Right. right. So having said that, if you run into a situation where you need validation that you cannot get from what we have learned, then you're left with the choice. Do I make my own wheel or do I go look for a wheel? Well, I'm going to save you the bother of looking for a wheel. There is a jQuery plugin. So in other words, this is you basically add script source equals blah to their URL and then jQuery will develop extra brains. You can do that with jQuery. It can be extended. It's called dot validate and it adds a jQuery. It adds to jQuery the ability to do really powerful form validation. And so the link is there. It's jQueryValidate.org. So if we do and that, the, we don't have to listen to anything you just told us. Is that what you just said? No. <laughs> what, what, what I have, everything I have taught you is entirely relevant and entirely helpful. If you want to use jQuery validation, you need uh-huh. to know everything I've told you. Okay. But if you need to do more, jQuery validation will take you to that next level, and okay. it will do so in a really nice way. So, so it if won't you automatically find, do all that stuff we just learned? It actually will. So if you use all the attributes we've learned about, it will obey them. Oh, okay. And it will give you the power to do more. Huh. So it's actually really done. To give you an idea of the quality of this library, so some third-party stuff is like fly-by-night. Some guy had an itch to scratch, scratched it, and you know threw the code out in case it's useful. And that might be useful, but that's often a very terrible way to go. This project has existed since 2006. And the main, the developer on it is a developer who actually works for jQuery, who is one of the developers writing actual jQuery. And one of their responsibilities is that they are the code maintainer for QUnit. Oh, wow. Okay, so this is the real deal. This is the real deal, and these are our people. We already trust these people's code because we're already using it. So this is as close to official jQuery as you can get. It's a jQuery plugin written by people who work for jQuery and people who look after QUnit, which is created by jQuery. Right, right, right. So that's why I'm recommending it if you need more. So basically, if what we have learned is insufficient for your needs, I suggest you try jQueryValidation.org. Okay, cool. So that is all the new stuff I want to squeeze into your little brain today. (laughs) I'm going to give you a challenge. Good. You may actually already have done this challenge, but not all of it. So given the result of your homework for this time, which was just to add some more features into your homework for last time, I have another list of four new features I want your homework to develop. Okay. If you do not already have one, add a reset button. All right. If you don't already have custom validation, which I'm pretty sure you do because you were playing around with it. And that was last week's homework. That was last week's. Last time's yeah, homework. So, okay. Yeah. So setting a custom validation message of some sort, 
add at least one custom validation message and then use the reset handler and the submit handler to interact properly with that. Ah, okay. If you haven't already done so, add a star rating custom UI and make it behave with the keyboard. Okay. So you actually have a lot of this done, but you don't have the submit and reset stuff. I might actually Uh, start from scratch because I've got slop, not slop. I have code written by you shoved into the middle of mine to make my stars work. So now that I understand how to make them work, I'd like to try to do it myself. That sounds like a really sensible approach. Learn by doing. Yeah. Okay, well, so there you go. So there's your homework. It's. I'd like to think it's a bite-sized chunk. Yeah, um, yeah, that's, that's a reasonable size amount of, of homework. I can get that done in two weeks. <laughs> Excellent. Okay, well, we have arrived at a really important point in this series. It, it's a pity it's not a round number. It would have been lovely if this had been like 50 or something. Oh, 42. Oh, I should have made us some filler. Thank <laughs> you. It's like, well, we could we could just call it 42. Yeah, I could go back and re-record the opening. No. Well, I made it episode 500 when you were on, even though 500 was really the week before. Yeah, the thing is, I use a WordPress plugin for numbering these series. Oh. I don't want to have to teach it. That 41 doesn't exist. <laughs> no, you make one called 41 that says this page intentionally left blank. <laughs> oh, dear. Anyway, where we have arrived is we have arrived at the point where we now have all three of the pillars upon which web apps are built. HTML to say what is in the web app, the structure of our app. As in it has a box here, a button there, that's going to be the HTML. We have the CSS to make the app look like we want it to look. We have the JavaScript to make the app go. And now that we understand events and forms, we have the glue that connects our three strands that have been rather independent of each other together. I like we now it. have the ability to make the user make stuff happen. What are we going to do with that ability? We are going to go right back to those cellular automata prototypes that are sitting there in limbo. Mm -hmm. We're going to finish them and connect them with event handlers to a web app. And that web app is going to implement the game of life. So you say. I hope there'll be a little bit of revision when we get back to the cellular automata. Yes, there will, because I don't remember how they work. (laughs) Good, 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 good. All right, cool. I'm looking forward to it in, uh, in a couple weeks, Bart. Okay, well, until then, wait, what is it again? Oh, yeah, okay. Let me try that again. (laughs) I have too many different endings. Anyway, until then, whenever that is, happy computing. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Chit Chat Across the Pond. This show is not supported by ads. It's supported by you. If you learn from the show, or even if you're just merely entertained by the shows, please consider supporting the show. If you go to podfeet.com, there's a big red button in the top banner that says, support the show. If you click it, that will reveal to you several ways to contribute. You can pledge a monthly amount using Patreon. You can use the Amazon affiliate link for your country. You can make a one-time donation using PayPal, or you can record a listener review, which is an awesome way to contribute. You can always chat directly with me via Twitter at Podfeet or email me at allison at podfeet.com. You can join the conversation in Facebook by going to podfeet.com slash Facebook or on Google Plus at podfeet.com slash Google Plus. Thanks for listening and stay subscribed.